0: Hello, and welcome back to the Way, the Truth, and the Life Bible study. Um, This is the second lesson, not to be confused, because I know that lesson one actually came in two parts. So there's part one of lesson one and part two of lesson one, uh, because we really wanted to take our time with the Word of God. And in that first lesson, the first two parts of the Bible study, we looked at how the Bible is the Word of God, how our hearts and minds must be open. As we begin to study the word of god it was god breathed meaning it came directly from god Uh, we can trust not only the word of god but the translations that we have of god's word and we should not add or take away from the word of god so that's just kind of a just bullet points of what we looked at in those first two parts Uh, and, and again if you have any questions about either this lesson or previous lessons as we go through this bible study please make sure that you email info at refugechurchonline.com. That's on your screen right now because I will do my very, very best to answer whatever questions that you may have at any time. Before we start, I always like to ask God's hand of direction and that, uh, you know, we always pray the same thing. We do not have to pray for his word. That is anointed. But as someone who is speaking, teaching, communicating his word, I want his hand upon me and upon you to receive what you're looking at and listening to. So Jesus, we love you. Thank you for this time together here. Thank you for the technology that allows moments like this to to transpire. And God, I just pray that your word would go forth and accomplish that which it desires in every single person listening. God, anoint me to clearly communicate your word in the plan that you have for our lives. In your name we pray, amen. So question for you, how did we get here? How did you get on planet Earth? How did humanity start? How did we get here? Well, uh, that we now that we've established the, the validity and the look at the Word of God and the Bible itself, let's look at what the Word of God has to say about the beginning of time. How did we get here? Where did we come from? The very first book of the Bible addresses the these questions. As a matter of fact, let's read the most difficult passage to read in the Bible. If you can believe and trust and have faith in this one passage of Scripture, you're not going to have any issues believing anything else, not about uh, the flood of the world or parting the Red Seas or God controlling nature, opening blind eyes, healing, uh, raising the dead uh, filling people with his spirit or, or anything. There's, there's nothing. There's not about a heaven or a hell. There's nothing in the word of God that will be difficult to understand or believe or put your faith in if you can put your faith in this one verse. This is the hardest verse to believe in the Bible. Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. If you can believe that, There's nothing else that we're going to talk to that's going to be more difficult to believe than that one verse. And that's the very first verse, the very first sentence that opens up the Holy Bible. And so God, this states that God has complete dominion, authority. When you look at the, the book of Genesis, Genesis is a book of beginnings. It literally means an origin or beginning of something. That's why hence the name Genesis. In Genesis, we have the beginning of creation, the human race, marriage, sin, humanity, God's forgiveness, prophecy, the nation of Israel. We even have the beginning of passing the buck and blaming other people for your mistakes because we all tend to do that sometimes, right? The entire book starts off by God making a succinct and powerful statement that just says, I did it all. I created the heaven and the earth. You know, and some people believe that God spoke the earth, into existence in six days, and other people say there's a big bang theory that that, that took place, and it's evolved into what we have now. Uh, Since no human being was there as an eyewitness, guess what? Both beliefs... Take some element of faith. Yeah, but uh, if I'm an evolutionist, I, I, I believe this because of this. No one was there 6 billion years ago. Nobody that, w- that I can talk to today was there 6,000 years ago or anything between 6,000 and 6 billion. So no matter what you say you are, if you say you're atheist, agnostic, if you believe in a religion, no matter what religion it is, you have to put your faith in something or someone. And so we all choose to put our faith in something. There are various modern-day arguments about how long ago the God, that God made the earth. Well, it was actually really six million, six thousand, 600,000. At the end of the day, maybe you expect me, me to go a different direction here, but here's the direction I'm going. At the end of the day, does it really matter? It, do, it really doesn't to me. Well, it was actually... 6,000 years, and six days, it was this. I Honestly, here, here's what I know what scripture says. And that is, God spoke and it happened. God spoke and it happened. Based on what we see in scripture, God spoke things into existence and it appears he did it in six consecutive days. But here's what we have. Look at scripture. Genesis 1, 3 says, and God said, let there be light. There was light. God said in Genesis 1.6, let the reef firmament in the midst of the waters and let it divide the waters from the waters. Next verse, not Verse nine. God said, "Let the waters under the heaven be gathered unto one place." Verse eleven. And God said, "Let the l- let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed, and the fruit yielding fruit after its kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth." And it was so. Notice each verse says, "And God said." Verse fourteen. And God said, "Let there be light in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night." And it goes on, and it ends with, "And it was so." And it was so. Each each one of these concepts and theories. Verse twenty. And God said, "Let the the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature that hath life. And fowl uh, fly above the earth in the open firmament of heaven. Verse 24, and God said, let the earth bring forth living creature after its kind. Notice, every single thing that God creates, it says, God said and it happened. And God said and it happened. And God said and it happened. And God said and it happened. Why? Because God established something right at the beginning of, of all of human history. The, and here it is. And God speaks, it happens, and there's power in the spoken word. Even when you flip later to the New Testament, we're going to talk about it. Even our own salvation comes back to power in the tongue, to the spoken word. And we're going to look at that later on. But what I want you to see is from the very beginning of time, there was power in the spoken word. Look at just each part of creation points to the fact that there is an intelligent creator, you could go to New York City and say, ah, I don't believe in the Empire State Building. Yeah, but look, there it is. Look how tall. Look at, look at the, 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 the huge building. Yeah, but I, but I didn't meet the person who drew the plans. I didn't meet the builders. I didn't meet the people who, who put this thing together, who came up with this plan. I didn't meet the inspector who walked through it to make sure it was safe. So I don't believe that the Empire State Building has a creator. Just because I haven't seen that creator, I can look and say, well, obviously someone knew what they were doing. Obviously somebody drew plans and examined this building and built this huge facility and they knew what they were doing. I don't need to meet them. I can see the result of that. And creation is somewhat the same way. Oh, I don't see God. Yeah, but we see the, the, the fact that God exists, that there's an intelligent creator just by looking around. That doesn't happen by chance. Just take a look at a few things. The earth. Earth is the only known planet equipped with an atmosphere appropriate for plant, animal, and human life. The earth is located exactly the right distance from the sun. Consider the temperature swings we encounter. Negative 30 to positive 120. I I like to be a balanced person. Throw me in the middle there, maybe a little to the high side. I don't want to live in 120, and I don't want to live in negative 30. I don't know where you're at right now if you're watching, but whoa. If the earth, though, was any further from the sun, we would freeze. If the earth was any closer to the sun, we'd burn up. So we are literally in the, even a fractional variance in the earth's position to the sun, and life on earth would be impossible. The earth remains at its perfect distance from the sun as it rotates around the sun at a speed of nearly 67,000 miles per hour, and the earth's rotation on its axis allows the entire surface of the earth to be properly warmed and cooled every day. I could go on and on. This is not a science lesson, but I want you to see just a couple of snippets of information that show an intelligent creator. Look at the moon. Our moon is the right size and distance from the earth. The Moon creates important ocean tides and movement, so ocean water does not stagnate, stagnate. And yet it remains our massive oceans. It, 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 there's there's restraints. The, the, the Moon restrains our massive oceans from just spilling over the sides across all the continents. And then how about water? Colorless, odorless and without taste, and yet n- no living thing can survive without water. Go ahead, take take a drink.. Mm. How is that for an intro? Water has has not been found on any other planet, yet it covers more than 70% of the Earth's surface. Plants, animals, and humans consist mostly of water. About two-thirds of the human body is water. Water has a unique surface tension. This, combined with another property of water, allows water in plants to flow upward against gravity, bringing life-giving water and nutrients to even the tallest of trees. I got a chance to see the redwoods in California. You look up and you're like, wow, these, these trees have health because of e- e- all these trees and plants because of water and its surface tension. Water freezes from the top down and floats, allowing fish to live in the winter. of the Earth's water is in oceans, but on Earth, there is a system designed which removes salt from the water and then distributes the water throughout the globe. Evaporation takes the ocean waters, leaving the salt, and forms clouds, which are easily moved by the wind to disperse water over land for vegetation, animals, and people. It's a system of purification and supply that has sustained life on this planet A system of recycled and reused water. Listen, that is better than any Brita system, okay? God is amazing in his intelligent design. The human brain, your brain takes in all the colors and objects. Right now, you're listening to this, hopefully, hopefully you're still listening, and you're maybe viewing it, seeing it, hearing it, and you're taking in colors and objects and temperature and sights and sounds and smells and the dryness of your mouth and the texture and the article of your hand. And in addition to all this sensory information, your brain recognizes emotional responses, ideas, and memories. Do you know your brain Processes more than a million messages a second. A million messages a second. That didn't happen by chance. That didn't happen by an explosion. That, that happened by an intelligent design of a creator. Fortunately, your brain weighs the importance of all this data, filters the relatively unimportant. And then screens, and then the, the screening function of the brain is what allows you to focus and actually operate effectively in the world, even though millions of messages are coming in at one time. A brain that deals with more than a million pieces of information at every second while evaluating its importance and allowing you to act on the most pertinent information. Listen, creation points to a creator. This is just a little bit of information that I just want to share. Again, it's not a science lesson, but I want you to see this. Even creation itself points to God. Look at Psalms, the book of Psalms, Psalm 19, 1 through 6. I'm just reading New Living Translation simply because it's easier to understand in, this, in this, these particular instances. It says, the heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display His craftsmanship. Day after day, they, can, they continue to speak. Night after night, they make him known. They speak without a sound or word. Their voice is never heard, yet their message has gone throughout the earth. And their words to all the world, God has made a home in the heavens for the sun. That's amazing. God has made a home in the heavens for the sun. It bursts forth like a radiant bridegroom after his wedding. It rejoices like a great athlete eager to run the race. The sun rises at one end of the heavens and follows its course to the other, and nothing can hide from its heat. Listen to the psalmist write about the beauty of creation, and not just that it's there, but that it points to a divine creator. The heavens have a voice. They speak. We don't need a translator to get this. They speak to everyone of every culture. The sun, moon, and stars don't just point to the fact that God is a creator. They point to his faithfulness, his promises, to covenant, to eternity, to the fact he sees you. He never forgets you. He's always faithful. Even the psalmist later wrote what is known as a creation hymn that exalted the goodness and power of God in creation. Look at just a few portions of this creation hymn. Psalm 104 is the creation hymn. Look at verse one. Let all that I am praise the Lord. Oh, Lord, my God, how great you are. You are robed with honor and majesty. You're dressed in a robe of light. You stretch out the starry curtain of the heavens. You lay out the rafters of your home in the rain clouds. Can you just stop right there and and envision the beautiful poetry that is exalting God's creation right there? You lay out the rafters of your home in the rain clouds. You make the clouds your chariot. You ride upon the wings of the wind. The winds are your messengers, flames of fire as your servants. You placed the world on its foundation so it would never be moved. You clothed the earth with floods of water, water that covered even the mountains. At your command, the water fled. At the sound of your thunder, it hurried away. Mountains rose and valleys sank to levels you decreed. Then you set a firm boundary for the seas so they would never again cover the earth." This this is inspired text that lets us know the way it all came into existence, and it lets us know the one who did it. Verse 14, you caused the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for people to use. You allowed them to produce food from the earth. Verse 19, you made the moon to mark the seasons, and the sun knows when to set. Verse 24, and oh Lord, what a variety of things you've made. In wisdom, you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Here's the ocean, vast and wide, teeming with life of every kind, both large and small. Verse 30, when you give them your breath, life is created and you renew the face of the earth. May the glory of the Lord continue forever. The Lord takes pleasure in all he has made. What an amazing way to poetically capture Not only what we see here today, but also who created it. Look at, you know what though? But in spite of all this, naysayers of the word of God will say, yeah, but other ancient cultures also have creation stories. Maybe you're watching or listening to this and you didn't realize that. What? The Bible I thought was the only one. Do you know other ancient cultures had and have creation stories? By doing a study of ancient Near East writings, we will find that ancient civilizations had their stories. The Bible focuses on a time period around 930 to 500 BCE. And this time period is even thousands of years after, after the writings of other ancient civilizations in the Old Testament. Yet, although other ancient civilizations have creation accounts... No other civilization has an account where their God or gods are so focused on humanity, on you, on me, on those who went before us, on those who will come after us. When reading the accounts of ancient Near East literature, you will see stories. Literally, you, you can check this out for yourself. You will see stories and read stories about gods fighting each other for supremacy, about tricking one another, even getting one another drunk. Gods, gods getting one another drunk. This is ancient Near East literature. In all these accounts, humankind takes a back seat to the gods. In many cases, human beings are viewed as servants, or they're even actually destroyed because they woke up the gods from nap. This, this is some of the ancient Near East civilization creation stories. Yet when Yahweh God, the God of the Bible that we hold, when he creates the world, there is no epic battle, no murdering and exchanging of hearts. That's a literally, that's a literal story. Murder and exchanging of hearts to gain supremacy. No raining down some other God's mutilated body to create humanity. This is all real stuff in ancient Near East literature. And definitely no battle for supremacy. God simply spoke and things happened. Then he played in the dirt, and humanity was created. Then he takes a piece of a piece of the dirt, and he makes woman. Upon completing all this, he looks around at his creation and says, yeah, it's good. It's good. The Genesis account is really an account of how things came to be, and it naturally pushes out all the other gods and theories. The Bible doesn't have to denounce anyone or anything else. It just makes a clear statement about how things came to be. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Boom, that's it. God, when, when you say God is not, you don't have to say God is not the sun. Some ancient civilizations actually worship the sun. You don't have to address, well, God's not the sun when you simply say God created the sun. God is basically, He's saying, I am the one who was and is and is to come. I created all things. That's it. Let's move on. What kind of authority and power to make that statement, not address anything else out there. There's no battle for supremacy and all that. It's just, I'm the one that did it. Let's move on to the next thing. This relationship with our God is something unlike any other ancient civilization. Studying ancient culture does not belittle the Bible. It actually gives you a greater appreciation, admiration, love, and respect for the Word of God and the God who actually created all things and is intimately involved with humanity. The entire Bible hinges on God's plan. The whole thing hinges on God's plan. You know, a lot of people think this this Bible is, oh yeah, that's a book of humankind's pursuit of God. It's not at all that. You read this book, and this book is is an account of God's pursuit of us, of humankind, his creation, who he longs for relationship with. And the Bible hinges on God's plan to interact with, redeem, and have relationship with his created people. And the book of Genesis tells us about the first ones he created. Genesis 2, 7 says, the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Before God creates the first woman named Eve, God gives Adam specific instruction about the Garden of Eden and that he and Eve would live in that. In verse 16, he says, the Lord God commanded the man, saying, of of every tree of the garden, thou mayest freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in that day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. If you have kids, you know, you say, hey, guys, you can go play. Just don't go on that one section over there. That's where this comes from. Our humanity. Well, what's in that one section? I want to see What'll happen? Will I get hurt? Is mom and dad being serious? Sometimes people say the Bible's hard to understand and that they're unsure what God wants from them. Well, that's definitely not the case here. Adam? See, all these trees, you can eat from every one of them. There's just one they can't eat from. That's clear. That is crystal clear. God, you know what? He could have made us robots. He could have literally said, if I went like this right now and I said, oh, guys, meet my wife. Hey, hey, there's my wife. Let me introduce you. And I go, Jackie, say I love you. And she goes, I love you, Gary. And I go, watch this. Jackie, say it again. Say I love you. And she goes, I love you, Gary. You'd be looking at me like, you have a warped house. What is going on? You guys are all crazy. Because that's not true love. There's obviously more to that story. Something's not right there. And God could have made us robots. He could have, in his dominion and power, he made all these other things. He could have made us just go, I love you, Jesus. I love you, God. I want to serve you, God. But no, he, he gave us a free choice, a free will that says, I'm, I am made a creation. I long for a relationship with them, but I want them to choose me. And that's the thing. So when, you're, when you look at this, yeah, but why would God create a tree that he knows they're going to fall? Why would God do that? Did God tempt them? James, the book of James says God tempts no man to sin. So God didn't tempt anyone. But here's the thing. If he gave us the power of choice, in order for humanity to truly have the power of choice there at least had to be another option to choose that would be different than God's option. Or it's not a choice to begin with. If there isn't an option to choose other than God's option, then that's not choice. So he doesn't tempt us, but he puts that there and says, I want him to choose me. In this day, right now, in your life, you have the power of choice. You can choose God, or you can choose things not of God. But he gave you that, that power, that authority. Almost immediately after God's command about the Tria and Eve's creation, we read about the devil showing up as a serpent in the garden. Look at Genesis 3.1. It says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, Hath God said, I can just imagine this conversation. I don't think he was like, hey, i got a question for you, Eve. It was, yea, hath God said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. The devil shows up and brings the exact same approach to Eve that he does to me and you right here today. His question is, hath God said, the devil's approach will always begin with tempting you As to whether or not God's word is really true. Is this really valid? Is this really important? Does this really apply to my life and my situation? Hath God said, and after the serpent, you, you see, here's the thing. If he can get you contemplating whether God's word is actually applicable to your life or not, it's just a matter of time before sin enters your life. And Eve stood around, and then Adam with her. After the serpent tempts Eve to question the word of God, he follows that up with whether or not, well, are there really consequences to not following his word? Verse 2 says, The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God said you shall not eat it, neither shall you touch it. Tell me when and where God said you shouldn't touch it. Remember, in our last lesson, we talked about God said, don't add or take away. That's in the beginning, middle, and end of the book. Here, Eve, before sin enters the picture, it first starts with adding to the word of God or taking away from the word of God. God never said, don't touch it. Now, it's a good idea not to, since he said, don't eat it, don't hang around, but he didn't say that. She adds to the word. And the serpent says, oh, you're not really going to die. For God knows in the day you eat, your eyes will be open. You'll be like God's. And when the woman saw that the tree was good, all that's in the world, the Bible says, is the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. She's like, oh, it looks good. Oh, I want to try it. I want to be like God. Oh, wow. And all these different things. And so she eats, gives to her husband who knew better because he was the one that received the command. He eats and the Bible says the eyes of them both were open and they knew they were naked and they aimed to sew fig leaves together and make aprons for themselves. And at this point, the innocence of humankind was gone because Adam and Eve did not trust the word of God. They tested whether or not God's word really applied to them. They tried then to cover their guilt, but God exposed their guilt. God will always aim to expose guilt, not because he just wants to harm you. It's because he wants to restore what was broken. And so when you feel guilty, when you feel that, oh, Lord, I just, oh, I I feel like maybe I should do something about it, that is God's call to repentance, because God shows up, and he speaks to Adam and Eve. Look what he says in verse 8. They heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. Notice, don't make this mistake if you're listening to this. If you sin, and you mess up, and you make a mistake... Natural human tendency is I want to hide from the presence of god. I don't belong in his presence I shouldn't come to church. I shouldn't go to the altar. I shouldn't worship god I shouldn't I shouldn't do this because of all these things that i've done And so they hid themselves from the presence of god But god doesn't say i'm just going to destroy you. i'm going to get rid of you He says he calls him he says where are you? Why did he ask where are you did he not know? Of course he knew. And then he says, I heard that voice in the garden, Adam says, and I hid myself, I was afraid. And and God says, who told you you were naked? Did he not know? He, He answered, he knows the answers to these questions. And he says, hast thou eaten from the tree I commanded you not to eat of? Did he not know? Of course God knew. Then why did he ask what they did? Could it be that God's grace was already alive and well way back in the beginning of time in the Old Testament and that he reached to his people and he said, what do we need to restore here? What has been broken? It was a call to come clean, to not hide yourself from the presence of God. But they said, I tried to cover myself. And God says, your way of covering what you did is not good enough. And guess what? Your way of covering what you did is never going to be good enough. So God says, we need to kill an innocent animal and blood needs to be shed. And that that story is the beginning of millions of gallons of bloodshed from animal sacrifice throughout the Old Testament until we get to the New Testament. And God takes on flesh. And it says, Jesus Christ becomes the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And that's why we no longer sacrifice animals. But we're going to look at that more in depth at later lessons. But I just want you to know today, where do we come from? We came when God spoke this world into existence. And he didn't just speak it for, 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 for our pleasure, his pleasure. He spoke it because he wanted a relationship with you and me, humanity. And when sin destroyed that, the rest of the Bible is his, his pursuit of humankind as he aims to restore that bond that he initially created. At the beginning of time.